Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark 1 is where we'll be this morning. I've been thinking of contagiousness a lot recently. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, spending a week in the hill country preaching to some middle schoolers. And so as that goes with not a lot of sleep and being around kids, talk about contagious, um, developed kind of a little cold there and got back and have been plagued by this kind of chest congestion. I'm told it's not contagious, okay, but I'm living my life right now as if I have the black plague. Um, in fact, I can't make this up. This is the perfect example. Just minutes ago, we were in my office uh, about to pray before service, and I coughed, and the entire worship team moved to the other side <laughs> of my office. Um, I was at the gym last night for one of my like two or three workouts a year. It's called the pastor workout routine, uh, and it was amazing because I've never met the nicest uh, group of people so nice. I mean, wherever I went in the gym, it was like people walked away, uh, and I had just my pick, right, of whatever I wanted to do. Um, as I'm coughing, it's the signal to people, right, that I'm I'm uh, uh, not to be around, that I'm to be feared, that I'm uh, dangerous in some way. The, the text we're looking at this morning is all about this idea, about contagiousness, and about how Jesus approaches this. Um, and we'll read, and there's kind of two passages we'll look at, and, and I think they kind of model for us the ebb and the flow of the Christian life, what it is you and I are called to do and to be, how we're called to live um, in this day and age. Um, we'll pick it up in Mark chapter 1, um, verse 35. Mark reads like this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed Jesus and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, you and I as Christians, as followers of Christ, um, the scriptures tell us, have a path ahead of us. We have a destiny that we are on track towards. Romans tells us um, that we are predestined to be um, conformed to the image of Christ. That all those who believe in Jesus, all those who would follow, all those who would come to find their life in Christ, um, whether they know it or not, have kind of this end model that they'll end up looking like. Um, I did not really sign on to this agenda when I became a Christian. Um, I wasn't really quite aware, right, that it was going to involve such a, a, a strict transformation, that there was this clear kind of end goal, goalpost in sight. Um, but for all of us, no matter what we do or where we are or what situation we're in, 
the goal and indeed the destiny of the Christian life is to be more and more like Christ. And as we read the Gospels, that's always, I think, a very fruitful way to read them, to look at the life of Jesus and see this as the kind of life we're called to inherit, we're called to model, we're called to learn from. Um, We inhabit all kinds of different places, just as a small community here. Um, We have lots of parents and lots of educators. So there are two different types of faces I see this morning. There are parents who look like kids toward the end of the school year with summer approaching um, because their children are about to be back in school. Uh, and there's much rejoicing and, and worship at their house. And then on the other hand, there are the educators who are looking at me kind of angrily while I'm talking about that, <laughs> because not too long from now, they're going to be in those rooms with those said children. Um, we have people who work. Um, we have um, all kinds of people. We're, we're in all kinds of situations. There's many of us um, who are in very joyful situations right now in our lives. And, and there's some of us who are going through um, difficult times and difficult moments. Um, but in all of these situations and all of these circumstances, we're all called to become more Christ-like. Um, the church is a community that's called to bear witness um, to the image of Christ, um, to the character of Christ in this world. Um, in this passage we're looking at, um, like I said, I think we see an ebb and flow to the Christian life. Um, so this is toward the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark's telling of the story of Jesus. And we're told that Jesus um, gets up early in the morning and goes to a place by himself, a desolate place, and there he prays. And this is characteristic of Jesus' life, characteristic of his routine, of his public ministry. Jesus is constantly going by himself or with a small group of friends to go and spend time alone with the Father. Jesus has this very rich spiritual life that sustains him, that sustains his character, that sustains his ministry. Sometimes we we think about Jesus or we we read the Gospels, and we're so used to the idea of thinking that Jesus is God um, that we forget the equally true fact that Jesus is also human. Um, Jesus is a model of humanity for us, and Jesus himself is living a, a fully human life. Um, We think later when he encounters the leper, right, that Jesus has it kind of programmed in his head um, from the very beginning when he's a baby of how he's going to encounter this leper. But I wonder and and want to suggest this morning, perhaps it's his time in desolate places alone with the Father that prepares him for these moments. Perhaps Jesus is able to live in the way he lives and interact with people the way he interacts with people precisely because he is so committed and intentional to these intentional about these spiritual disciplines in his life. Um, the word for search here, the disciples come to, to search for Jesus, is literally hunted. Um, it implies that Jesus is, is not very concerned about being found um, by his disciples. He doesn't leave a post-it note. He doesn't leave a map for them. He gets up and there's something more important for him to do. Um, Jesus is becoming more popular um, around this time. He's just started to heal large crowds In this passage, we see a transformation, and Jesus ends up more popular than he was when he began. He's a very productive man. He's healing lots of people. He's preaching in synagogues. And yet Jesus, at the height of his popularity and at the height of his productivity, takes time to get away and to rest, to invest in his relationship with the Father. I think for you and I so often, the pattern is reversed. 
more popular we get or the more demanding our schedule gets and the more productive we're called to be, the easier it becomes to take away from those intentional times, to lose sight of the, the spiritual practices or disciplines like prayer or scripture reading or community that sustain us and indeed enable us to live out um, the life of Christ, the, the way that we are called to live that out. Um, Jesus is known for this pattern throughout the Gospels before every big event that occurs, um, before most of these important healings that occur, before a lot of Jesus' sermons were told he gets away and he prays. He orients himself to the Father and to what the Father has called him to do in this world, what the Father has called him um, to be and, and to enact. And then he encounters. So he invests in his relationship with the Father, and then goes out into the world and um, makes this big difference. And we're told in this story about a leper that comes to Jesus, about someone who's contagious. This is what it meant to be a leper. Someone who's dangerous, someone you avoided, Um, someone who an entire system and structure of thought had been built in order to exclude them from society. In fact, in the ancient world, they're even excluded from the people of God. So they've been kicked out of the temple. They're, they're not allowed to be part of the community. Um, it's hard to probably overstate the exclusion and hard life that's been given to a person with leprosy, particularly in the ancient world in, in the first century here. Um, there was a tradition in the first century that um, you had to stay so far apart from people with leprosy that the very shade of a tree, if it's given shade to a leper, is considered unclean. The shade itself is unclean for eight hours. You've got to let those germs and that dirtiness dissipate um, before you can enjoy that shade of that tree. Now, on one hand, we can all kind of agree that this seems kind of smart. Um, if someone has a very highly contagious disease, it's not a person, typically you really want to spend time around and want to have close contact with in order to survive, in order to thrive, in order to be healthy. Um, But this kind of paradigm, this way of thinking about human beings um, broadens out and becomes much larger. It becomes almost a way of living for humanity. Um, The way that we, we separate people into clean and unclean. The way that we separate people groups into dirty um, or, or pure and, and impure, acceptable or unacceptable. Um, it goes beyond the physical and beyond the disease um, to all kinds of um, different variables and, and different expressions. Um, political thought, I think, is, is one of the ways this manifests itself. You know, in case you're not aware, we live in kind of a politically divided time. Um, there's partisan politics around us. Um, we've got the midterms coming up in November. Um, my one piece of advice for the midterms is what I said a couple years ago in November, which is like, remember, we've also got to be friends after this. Um, I think that should kind of preface anything that we say, opinions that we, we express. Um, but you see this kind of ideological purity at work on both sides, you know, right? Whatever position you might find yourself inheriting, opinions you might find yourself sharing. And so for those who don't agree with our opinions, those who approach things uh, at a different way, we like to label, and we like to demonize, and we slowly but surely, sometimes very subtly, take away dignity, and, and take away interaction, and take away conversation, and then degrade community, 
with those who are not in our circle, with those who are outside, pure and impure. We do this with various sins or lifestyles. Um, we're good suburban people, um, and so city folk um, aren't welcome, right? Um, they're just way too busy, way too many things that they're involved in. Um, whatever kind of world we tend to inhabit, we, we by nature, uh, as humans, um, label and divide, um, and then this becomes so susceptible to, um, again, like I said, demonization um, and different things like that. And into this world, the, the ministry of Jesus is very important. Jesus is all about breaking down these barriers. He's all about crossing over these divisions. He's all about um, kind of transforming from the inside out the way humans think about one another. Um, this kind of social problem we have of division for Jesus is a spiritual problem. And so there's a spiritual cure that has the social results. Um, you see this in, in the healing here. So this man has leprosy and he comes to Jesus and Jesus decides to heal him. Um, we know that Jesus heals in many different ways. Jesus can kind of think a healing into existence. He can speak a healing into existence. We've seen before he can spit a healing into existence. And he also can touch a healing into existence, lay hands on people. Now, if I'm Jesus, thankfully I'm not, I'm not going to touch the leper to heal him. I've got lots of other methods at my disposal, and this is the perfect time to employ them. Jesus, though seemingly intentionally touches, does what he's not supposed to do. And there's an important principle at play here. Um, in the ancient world, as it is now the case, the way humans think about such things is we, we think of dirtiness and impurity flowing in one direction. So if something impure comes in contact with something pure, what is pure becomes impure. If something is clean and dirty and the dirty thing comes in contact with the clean thing, you have two dirty things. And so this works out in all kinds of different ways in our lives where we avoid people where we build up walls, where we divide into separate communities. Um, for Jesus, he's constantly going to be challenging this idea. Um, he's going to be challenging this idea um, that that's the direction of influence in life. That that's the direction of transformation uh, among human beings. We saw this in our scripture reading earlier today in Mark chapter 5. Um, there's this woman who's been bleeding for years. This is again um, considered a very highly contagious disease. Um, this, again, is something that would make you unclean. Um, one of the things we forget about in Jesus' ministry is the fact that he is, for the most part, unclean from beginning to end. Um, he's a marked man, if you would. Um, there are people in Jesus' life who think he can't be touched, he can't be around, um, because he almost proudly goes about um, his ministry becoming as unclean and impure as one can be. I'm going out of his way to touch the lepers. Um, in the Mark 5 story, the woman grabs the garment of Jesus and there's this flow of power and she's healed. Now, this is not the way it's supposed to work. The way it works, the way it works for all of humans and, and the way it was set up and thought about in the first century is if a woman who is unclean, particularly because of these bleeding issues, touches you, guess what? There are now two unclean things, two unclean persons. She remains unclean, and now you yourself are unclean. 
then you need to be separated from the community. And you need to go through these various purification rituals, be approved by the priest, have these ceremonial washings. But instead, what happens there and here is, is very interesting and, and very powerful. The unclean touches the clean, and the unclean is transformed. Um, some scholars call this the contagious holiness of Jesus. This is why we see Jesus... <coughs> this is the black plague part, right? Don't, don't move your seats. Don't back up. <clears throat> you know, I've been cleared by medical professionals. Um, this contagious holiness um, is why Jesus is constantly hanging out with the wrong people. This is one of the criticisms of Jesus during his lifetime. If you'll remember, he's a friend of, of drunks and gluttons. Um, Jesus uh, is less concerned that by eating with a certain group of people or having conversations with a certain group of people, he's going to be affected and more excited about the possibility that his holiness, his love is going to affect those people. We'll move out of him um, towards uh, those around him. He, he seems to think his cleanliness is more powerful than any other uncleanliness. So he can touch a leper and not worry about it because of the power inside of him, because of the divine beauty that, that radiates out from him. Um, Jesus um, brings love and, and healing to the outcasts and to the marginalized and to the forgotten in our world. One way we could think about how this might apply to our lives and, and how we're called to, like Jesus, follow in this path, bring love and healing to those who are often forgot about or avoided or rejected in our world, is to try to actually imagine who these people might be for us as individuals. Um, we could do some thought experiments to, to think about this. Um, who in your mind, if we, just when you think about it, if you were asked this question, what kind of people disgust you the most? In like a serious way, not like loud eaters. I can't stand them. They all need to go to like this island of exile. Um, no, like at, at your core, right? I mean, what actually triggers that disgust um, um, instinct inside of you? Um, I think we could, I could throw out a couple just off the top of my head that we could all probably agree about. When we hear that word, when we hear that someone's done that or they're prone to doing things like that, immediately um, people react with, that person should be killed. That person has no place being around anybody else. That person has no, no sort of invitation to, to real community with others. They're dangerous. They're to be feared. They'll contaminate. They are contagious. Or we could do this thought experiment. When you think about it, when you're asked this question, who in your mind has the most dangerous ideas? You know, ideas are contagious. Um, sociologists who study ideas and movements, um, you can map out the spreading of an idea or the, the launching of a movement in much uh, similar ways as you can map out an epidemic, um, kind of a sneeze fest, right? One person sneezes and a couple people get it and then it goes on and on and on. Um, what group of people in your life um, have the, the, the most dangerous ideas? The ideas that, that don't deserve a platform, the ideas that don't deserve conversation, the ideas that would make someone off limits to your family, to your children, to your community. Because it's precisely these type of people that Jesus is here for. 
that Jesus is reaching out to constantly. And Jesus seems to lack the fear that, that you and I get, that sometimes taught to us as Christians from a young age, um, that as Christians we are called to kind of huddle in our own corner and hope that we can get out of this life without catching what's sometimes called like the sinnies, right? This disease of, of being this bad human being. We're given this advice as children, right, to choose your friends wisely. And to some extent, this is, this is true, right? If you hang around bad people, there's a likely chance that they're going to influence you in, in negative ways. But for people who have the spirit living inside of them, for people constituted by the work of Jesus, people called to model and inherit the life that he has lived, perhaps we're called to be less afraid of other people, less afraid of being contaminated by other people. And instead, see opportunities to make friends, to transform, to live out the, the table fellowship, the healing ministry that, that Jesus has here. Um, there's some common sense, I think, that is involved here. Um, while Christians are called, I think, to, to go to the darkest places, to engage in the, um, with the seediest kind of group of people, um, you necessarily are not called to engage with all those people, right? I don't think a sex addict is called to the sex industry. Um, I think some common sense goes a long way there. But that doesn't mean that you leave alone prostitutes, and porn stars, and sex addicts. Those are the very types of people that Jesus came to save. Those are the very types of people that Christians are formed into the character of Jesus to go and to be around. I'm increasingly convinced that part of the Christian call is the call to have a bad reputation. It's the call to, to have your image dirtied up by the people that you are friends with, the people you hang around. Not by your actions, not by your sins, but because of those who you choose to associate with. One of the um, problems I think that Christians get themselves into is we, we build this social ghetto of sorts where we can often have the right ideas. Um, God loves everyone. God loves people who do this. God loves people who um, live this lifestyle. And yet, he doesn't do so through us. He doesn't do so through, through our community. He doesn't do so through me or my friends. Um, we've employed a rule at the church sometimes, which is uh, you can't love an idea. You can only love people. Um, you can't say, I love the poor people. Um, the question you need to be asked is, what are their names? When are you seeing them this week? How are you loving them? I love conservatives. I love liberals. Okay, who are they? What does that look like? How many times y'all get together during the week? How has that transformed your life and, and made you less prone to, to labeling and rejecting? Less prone to stereotyping? Less prone to um, ignoring and demonizing that group of people um, that you find um, wrong and, and out of line. This is the, the life of Jesus. Um, this, this ebb and flow, this rhythm and pattern of building up one's spiritual life and going out into the world in this very radical, very fearless type of way. 
This has been true, I think, of most of um, the great Christian movements and great Christian leaders throughout history. You'll find they have very deep and very rich and very real um, inner spiritual lives. They're invested in, in certain spiritual disciplines. And this becomes the foundation for their ability to go out into the world and do something most people don't do. Do something that is a, a witness that stands in, in contrast to the way the world lives, a witness to the, the life and mission and, and purpose of Christ. Sometimes we, we make the mistake, I think, of choosing one over the other to the extent of the other. And there are some who, who have this kind of personal relationship with God, but for some reason or another, it never really works itself out into the public life. Never works itself out into their inner interactions with other people. Um, it never ends up calling them to go over borders and boundaries, to tear down walls and divisions, to, to cast out lies and untruths. And others who get so excited, perhaps, about changing the world, about doing this, this leprosy healing ministry, that it gets easy to forget about the spiritual disciplines. It's easy to forget about one's inner relationship with God. To invest in your relationship with God, but have it not lead to the type of public life that Jesus has is to start on the right path, but never get to the goal. And to, to go hard after this kind of social transformation and yet never have the spiritual disciplines. It's like trying to fly a plane without fuel. I mean, it's, it's misguided. You, you're probably not going to get very far. You, you have no kind of moral internal compass to, to really guide you um, throughout the, the world, throughout this journey. Um, this morning, we will come to the table, as we do every week, to celebrate communion, um, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And in so doing, we, we rehearse the story of Jesus. We, we act out, in a real sense, the narrative of Mark 1, 35-45, and the, the Mark 5 story that we read. So at the table, you and I come as dirty people, unclean people, people who don't have their acts together, people who, who have um, flaws and, and vices, people who are not yet at their destination, but in the process of getting there at some point in their journey. And we don't come scared that we are going to somehow mess up the table. That our reputation is going to kind of ruin this process, this act of worship. No, we trust that the power of God, his love for us is stronger. It will overcome, it will swallow whole that which we lack. That which we, we still find ourselves striving towards. We come and, and, and we um, realize at one level that we all are this leper. And we're all this, this woman. We've found ourselves cleansed, made right in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And at this table, we're also reminded about the kind of life that you and I are supposed to live kind of life where we resist the siren call all around us to demonize others, to divide, 
to reject, to exclude, to label, and to ignore. Where we are reminded and sent out into the world to model the, the healing ministry, the public life that Jesus portrays. And so this morning I invite you to reflect on the life of Christ and the many ways that our lives can be more and more conformed to that image, um, that we might build up our relationship with the Father and go out and live obediently um, in the many varied contexts that you and I find ourselves in. That we might not be so afraid that it keeps us from obedience, that you and I, in the power of the Spirit, are able to lose our hesitancy, our inhibitions about what God has called us to do, and his power and commitment to be faithful to us as we go about that work.